Did you know that cancer resulted in nearly 10 million deaths in 2020, being a leading cause of death worldwide and the second leading cause of mortality in the European Union? It is a societal challenge that calls for orchestrated, transnational and interdisciplinary efforts from various actors. Because cancer affects us all in one way or another, investment in cancer-related research is key. Hello and welcome to the second edition of Crosstalks, a podcast series by the UT Austin Portugal program that will walk you through the wonders of science business collaboration. We'll be exploring emerging topics in the areas of advanced computing, medical physics, nanotechnologies, space earth interactions and technology innovation entrepreneurship as we delve into the program's groundbreaking industry-driven research projects. Today, we will talk about proton therapy. But what is proton therapy, you may ask? Well, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston defines proton therapy as a 196-ton cancer-killing machine that uses protons instead of x-rays and that can target a patient's tumor with a submillimeter precision while sparing nearby healthy tissues and minimizing side effects. A simple yet powerful definition that depicts what is distinctive about this method compared to conventional therapies such as radiation, surgery, chemotherapy, or immunotherapy. The idea of using protons in medical treatment dates back to 1946, with Robert Wilson proposing to use accelerated produced beams of protons to treat patients with deep-seated tumors. The first attempts to apply protons in treating cervical cancer patients began in the 1950s in nuclear physics research facilities. Applications were, however, circumscribed to a few areas of the body. In the late 1970s, imaging advancements, coupled with the development of sophisticated computers and improved accelerated and treatment delivery technology, made proton therapy viable for cancer treatment. Nevertheless, we would have to wait until the 1990s to see clinical centers with proton beam facilities emerging and expanding worldwide as precision, personalized medicine hastened pace. Like any advanced therapy, proton therapy brings some challenges one of which is measuring the distance protons travel to the tumor cells. Indeed, the extreme precision of proton therapy may be significantly impaired by cellular factors, including errors in positioning the patient in the treatment room. For instance, in head and neck cancers, this can be particularly problematic since it typically takes a ring of detectors surround the patient to get accurate measurements, but some relevant geometrical constraints may compromise this accuracy. Positron Emission Tomography, or PET, is increasingly considered a reliable imaging method to support treatment plan correctness. The UT Austin Portugal TOF PET for Proton Therapy project is therefore working on a new type of PET scan, showing how tissues and organs are functioning to understand what the prescribed dose of protons should be and whether they are traveling to the right spots to fight off cancer tumors. I'm Shell Abib, and today our guests are Severin Tavernier, co-founder of the company Pets Electronics, and Carol Lang, professor of physics at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Stefan and Carol, and thank you very much for accepting our invitation to participate in this podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, now, Shaila, thank you very much for giving us a chance to, to talk to the general public. We think that's important uh, that... Uh, we do that, and we are glad that you gave us a chance to do that. 
Thank you. So I have already briefly explained what proton therapy is, but can you, Carol, explain to our listeners how it works and where it really stands in comparison to other existing therapies to fight cancer? With pleasure and briefly. Thank proton, you. proton therapy uh, is based on uh, different than other therapies principles of energy deposition and thus the fight of the tumors or cancer cells. Unlike in uh, conventional therapy where photon beams are used, the uh, proton beams deposit the energy in tissues in a very different manner. It was discovered more than 100 years ago by uh, William Bragg. And uh, in fact, uh, together with his son, they shared a Nobel Prize for not the, the, this particular discovery, but the discovery of, uh, or, or for, for their studies of uh, stru structural, uh, structure of materials mm -hmm. uh, through, through x-rays that were discovered just a few, a few years earlier. And uh, through uh, studies of alpha particles, uh, Bragg and his son, uh, Lawrence, William and Lawrence, uh, discovered that the, when alpha particles were stopping in, in matter, they were effectively depositing most of their energy at the very end, immediately towards the uh, stopping point of, the, of their trajectory or, or path in, in, the, in the tissue. And that principle is uh, behind the uh, proton therapy uh, because in photon irradiations, that phenomenon does not exist. It is, uh, the, the energy deposition doesn't have a well-defined uh, spot in, in the tissue where, where it deposits most of energy. While in protons, that happens. And that makes a much cleaner incision of the destruct destructive power of the irradiating beam of the cancer tissues. Thank you. Stefan, would you like to also no, share no, your I, views? No, yeah. clear. no, no, I don't think. It was very clear as well. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. What you said is very interesting, Carol, but there is an ongoing heated debate about proton therapy, right? Advocates of evidence-based medicine argue that more high-level clinical evidence is needed to prove the superiority of this therapy over conventional treatments and therefore justify its high upfront costs. On the other hand, those in support of proton therapy claim that, by sparing normal tissue, proton therapy may have fewer side effects than conventional radiation and that proton therapy patients are able to maintain their quality of life during and after treatment. This is expected to reduce the overall economic burden of cancer. What are your stance on this debate, Stefan? Yeah, well, uh, of course, uh, uh, proton therapy equipment is a, a very expensive piece of equipment and it's perfectly normal that uh, people say, hey, hey, is it really justified? Now, um, there are a few things that I can say about this. Um, first of all, there are different treatments for cancer and, and maybe it, it is not as true as you like. I mean, sure, proton therapy is very expensive, People may think that chemotherapy is very cheap, right? You just give the patient a few pills and that's it. That's <laughs> actually, if you study this and it has been studied, then chemotherapy is actually more expensive than conventional radiotherapy and not say more expensive than proper therapy. So maybe you get a little bit of home picture if you do not know this. But nevertheless, proper therapy is expensive equipment and it is expensive. Now, there seems to be an international consensus 
that in a population of about 10 million, there are enough patients for which the benefits of having proton therapy compared to conventional therapy justifies the extra expense of this machine. And this is, of course, the way what, the reason why in Portugal one has decided to go for that, because that's about the size of population we need to justify the expense. Okay. Let so, me add that I, I strongly believe that uh, economic sides of, uh, of our endeavors are clearly important down, down the road, but I think it is important to... Uh, present opportunities and possibilities for, for treatments and how it is incorporated into various economical structures of health coverage and health insurance. It's, it's probably, unfortunately, for politicians, uh, but I think it is, it is the duty of, I, I feel, duty of researchers to uh, advance uh, possible technologies and, and present them to, uh, for the society to uh, use or, or utilize the best way they can do Thank you both. I definitely agree and like what you said regarding the duty that researchers have to advance technologies and offer them to society despite the possible high costs. Now, I'd like to understand how the UTOS in Portugal tough bed project fits into this technological landscape supporting the advance of proton therapy clinical practices. Can you tell us more about the project's underlying challenges and the envisaged solution, Carol? Sure. Uh the project is to build an instrument that would assist the proton therapy at MD Anderson in terms of providing feedback how efficient, how good therapy irradiation is happening. This is a very challenging uh, goal. Uh, nothing has been uh, done in, in here uh, worldwide uh, in, to, to, to the extent that you can sort of push a button and, and get the feedback. So uh, what we are doing is building a small pilot uh, experiment in which we would exploit the beam of the MD Anderson and expertise of many experts that come together to, to do this. And uh, this is not different than what I do normally in my uh, other uh, sort of uh, Monday to Friday research, uh, because for me, this is more, more of a spin-off of my normal research. Uh, and in elementary particles, in experimental particle physics, we always bring many experts together to uh, build larger experiments and larger uh, instruments. And in here, it's a similar process. The instrument may be small, but it does require a, a spectrum of expertise. And uh, that's what uh, we actually were lucky to, to assemble and have now both from MD Anderson, Portugal, and UT Austin. Thanks, Carol. So, as far as I understand, patient studies are not part of the present application, but will be part of a follow-up project after the successful conclusion of this one. But the current project will allow testing the developed system with phantoms and small animals at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, right? So, how long and bumpy the road towards tough patch results commercialization is? How long will cancer patients have to wait to benefit from your solution, Stefan? 
Yeah, so you know the present project is a three-year project, and so we are about halfway. So uh, in, in sort of little less than two years, we, we should have finished that. And basically, this is, an, I would say, a technical test. Right? We are not, I can say, have, have patience, but we will have all the things that will allow us to see the technical problems and, and study them well enough. And at the end of the project, we will have a fairly clear view of what kind of problems that still need to be solved. Now, of course, it's not uh, something that there are enormous risks. It's not that, I, that the answer will be that it will not work. No, no, it's not that. It is that we'll say, okay, we told you like this, but it turns out it's, it's, it's a bit better like that and so on. So this is basically where we will stand at the end of the project, where we will, of course, publish the results. And, and um, I think we will come to the conclusion that this is a method that can work. And then we will have a better idea of certain technical hurdles that will be there. Uh, and then we will uh, need to build a new version of the system um, that then would be able to, to take, uh, to, to be used for real patient, for real patient in the, in the case of, of head and, and neck cancer, because their detector can be smaller. If you want to do other organs in the patient, you need a much bigger device that would again be uh, much more expensive. So, but I think the second phase, again, three years, looks like a, a reasonable estimate. So I would say then after three years, after the end of this project and probably some time to get new funding, uh, and three years later, we could come with a report where we really have treated a number of patients and, and hopefully that will be convincing enough that uh, the, the medical doctor then in the end uh, will have to take the decision to adopt that will be convinced that he really should go like that and, and, and use it for patients. So that gives you a kind of idea. So it takes time. Eh? All those things, those technical develops and everything is possible, but it takes time and effort. Wow, that is exciting that in three years, your PET scan will hopefully be ready. Thanks for sharing those exciting news with us. So the uniqueness of this international consortium, academics working side by side with doctors, technology developers and business people, what's been like working with such a diverse team, Carol? How do you transform interdisciplinary into a strength? Right. So as, as I mentioned, my uh, background is experimental particle physics, where we bring many uh, experts uh, together to uh, design and, and fabricate quite uh, sophisticated and complex instruments that are used for basic research. Uh, here, I think the portfolio of professions is, is even wider, broader, and, and I, I like it. Uh, I'm learning quite a bit from uh, places and from people and, and on, on subjects that I knew very little about. So it's a challenge uh, in, in a sense that uh, we all need to contribute to the same and advance the same project. But I think it is pretty well understood by everybody what needs to be done. So in the end, I, I'm actually perhaps surprised, but there are really not no big obstacles from the point of view of uh, bringing all together all these uh, uh, experts from, from really different walks of life. That's amazing. Thank you. Stefan, would you like to add anything? You, oh, you I think this is perfectly correct. Uh, I, I would say uh, I've been always working in international collaboration all my life. So uh, certainly uh, 
working with colleagues in the US or so that uh, they've always done and that has never been. Uh, now there are cultural differences, not say that they do not exist, uh, but they are not to the point that, that they, they create problems. I mean, I have always been working together with people uh, from in Europe. I take, for example, Italy and Sweden, for example, the culture is really very different in those two countries. And it's really noticed that, in, but that doesn't create a problem in, in the collaboration. Uh, what is a, a bit more difficult, and not it's a problem, it's a bit more difficult when you talk to medical doctors, right? Because they have, of course, a completely different view. They know a number of things that we don't know, and we know a number of things that they don't know. And it is not always easy when we talk to them to um, to make sure they understand uh, what we are trying to say. And then probably they think that we are not understanding what they are trying to say. <laughs> uh, but that is certainly a bit more difficult. And not say it's a problem, but there, I would say it's it's yeah, it it is uh, not so easy. They're really very different worlds, and, and the communication is uh, not so easy. There are a few exceptions, by the way. There are a few medical doctors, and I know a few that are really technically very knowledgeable, and, and they certainly exist, right? But they are not that common, and then it gets a little bit. Uh, not so easy to, to explain what you're trying to do and, and, and how things you should look at things. That makes sense. So yeah, let, let, let me emphasize what uh, Stefan is saying that uh, indeed the, the international aspect of the collaboration is not an issue. I think that nowadays the, uh, the research tools are so universal and so broadly applied everywhere in the, in the world that this is, this is not an obstacle in any way. Uh, there are cultural differences, as Stefan is, is pointing out, and I completely agree here that uh, the biggest uh, maybe challenge is to uh, uh, less uh, to, to to interact with the medical side of the project. But we we haven't gotten there fully yet, so this is actually something ahead of us. I'm sure that when you get to it, you'll be able to deal with that challenge. So we are nearing the end of our conversation, unfortunately, but I'd like to ask you both this final question. Beating cancer is a global commitment and effort. How important international science and technology programs, such as the UTOS and Portugal one, are to allow research to be translated to clinical practice and industrial products? Stefan, if you want to start. Yeah, well, I think I can only say that it's very important uh, because uh, these are um, highly complex technical developments, right? And uh, if we would uh, imagine we would do that as a pure Portuguese project, develop it only in Portugal, then we would have, I mean, Portugal would have to, to bear the cost of this development alone. Uh, and then in Portugal, there will be only one system because there's only one bottom accelerator. So this in the end would be a huge expensive thing, right? That would, I would say that would make no sense. So it has to be international on one hand because we pool knowledge that exists in different parts of the world, that's one thing. But also if this has to become economically meaningful, I mean, that's a machine that has to be sold all over the world and not just in Portugal. I mean, this is so niche market that if you were to just sell it in one country, that makes absolutely no sense. So for both reasons, completely different for both reasons, it's absolutely essential that you have this kind of international collaboration. I could not imagine doing it otherwise. 
Thank you. Carol, would you like to add anything? Absol absolutely true, and, and I, I exactly agree with that. It is essential that we conduct such research, and uh, I think that the fact that it's broad and international is just inevitable because of the complexity of the of the project itself. I actually would like to recognize here the vision with which uh, uh, this program is being conducted here. I must say that uh, this was a, a hugely and, and pleasant, uh, huge and present surprise to me uh, how this funding was arranged and uh, how we are free to do what, what we do. I, I, I must say that uh, I, I wish that uh, many other funding agencies were as, uh, uh, I would say, wise uh, as uh, as uh, this program is uh, for us here. So um, it is both essential and uh, I think uh, very, uh, uh, very, I'm very optimistic it will produce uh, very good results for the future therapies. Great. Thank you very much, Stefan Carroll. Very exciting news. It was a pleasure to chat with you today and we are very happy to hear that the UT Austin Portugal program was able to help bring your project to reality. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Crosstalks. If you enjoyed it, and even if you didn't, we would love to hear from you. So make sure to subscribe and leave a review. For additional content, follow us at UT Portugal on Twitter or visit utiosinportugal.org. PET project consortium is made of six partners, the PET Electronics, the University of Coimbra's Laboratory of Instrumentation and Experimental Particle Physics, the Center for Nuclear Sciences and Technologies from the University of Lisbon, the University of Texas at Austin, and the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. The TOF PET for Proton Therapy project is co-financed by the European Regional Development Fund through the Operational Program for Competitiveness and Internationalization, COMPETE 2020, the Lisbon-Portugal Regional Operational Program, Lisboa 2020, and the Portuguese Foundation for Science and Technology, FCT under UTOS in Portugal. The total eligible investment is around 2 million euros with a public funding of around 1,700,000 euros. The UTOS in Portugal program is a partnership program in science and technology between the Portuguese Foundation for Science and Technology and the University of Texas at Austin supported by the Ministry of Science, Technology and Higher Education in close collaboration with the Council of Rectors of Portuguese Universities. <laughs>